It's rare that something has the potential to help both our bodies and the planet at the same time. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about Oobly and sweet proteins. Did you know that protein has a sweet tooth? That's right. There are a handful of plants that grow near the equator that make fruit that produce sweet-tasting plant protein that's not sugar. These are called sweet proteins. Sweet proteins are amazing tricksters and taste absolutely delicious. But better yet, they're digested just like any other dietary protein. That means they have no impact on blood sugar or the gut microbiome. Oobly uses sweet proteins to make incredible plant-based, low-sugar, sweet iced teas that are craft-brewed with clean, fresh ingredients and zero artificial sweeteners. No stevia, no sugar alcohols. With only 7 grams of sugar in an entire 16-ounce can, and that includes the fruit, you can have your sweet and sip it too. Oobly's sweet teas come in three delicious flavors, lemon, peach, and mango yuzu. Get 20% off your first order with the promo code GENIUS at oobly.com. G-E-N-I-U-S. That's the promo code at oobly.com. O-O-B-L-I dot com. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% a real Jesus. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Gary Conley. He's the chief scientist of a company called Second Nature. Second is spelled the number two, and is in Nancy, he is in David, second nature. So we're going to talk about uh, his work there and his expertise in hydrology, pollution dynamics, and applied math. Uh, the goal appears to be to support, to create decision tools to help cities in the U.S. tackle water pollution problems. So, Gary, thank you for coming. How are you doing? I'm great, Richard. Thanks so much for the invitation. Really happy to be talking with you today about the work we're doing at Second Nature, water pollution problems, and whatever else we get into. So you mentioned water pollution problems. Does water pollution occur in places we think it does, or does it is it occurring all the time or intermittently with you know traditional drinking supplies that we rely on as safe? Yeah, well, the answer to that is it is occurring all the time. There's you know two main sources of the problems that we have, and that's throwing our food and our cities. Right, we apply fertilizers and pesticides, herbicides on farms to to help grow our food. Some of that washes off into the streams, eventually gets its way into the ocean. Similarly, in in cities, there's just all types of different compounds that make their way via runoff from the city streets into streams, eventually to the ocean. And there's just a number of impacts, right? They can create toxic conditions in these streams that are harmful to living organisms. They can find their way up the food chain back into the food that we eat, and it can pollute our drinking water supplies. So it's Water pollution problems are just ubiquitous, and we need to find better solutions to deal with them because up to now, we just have not made a whole lot of progress since the Clean Water Act in 1972 was enacted. We've done a lot of monitoring to identify the problems. We've gotten really good at finding out which areas are problematic, convincing demonstration progress towards solutions we're still on that road. You know, I live here in Austin. We've had like a, a water boil notice, I don't know, every year for the past three or four years now. It seems like things are getting worse here. 
what do you see in various municipalities and water supplies? Is the, is the, you said there's a lot of monitoring, but is there still now more contamination than ever? Or is it just noticed? What's the state of our water system in the U.S.? Yeah, I think those both those points you just said are, are relevant. Is there more or have we just noticed more, right? And we can notice more if we're looking more, right? So there there is some of that, right? The more monitoring that we do, the more likely we are to detect these problems. And I'm mostly talking, I'm not mostly talking about direct contamination of drinking water supplies. I'm talking about what we call ambient water quality. So the streams that uh, people made to drink out of, but they provide beneficial uses to folks. So that's drinking, swimming, fishing, the mechanism by which we determine whether or not those are healthy for those activities is the monitoring. And if they get onto a list that the EPA administers, the Environmental Protection Agency, the water bodies on that list are not healthy for those activities. And we've got about 20,000 of those spread across the U.S. And every year we have some come off for some pollutants, but others go back on. So on the whole, we are monitoring more, but is also growing, right? And it's growing as we grow, right? Our, our cities are growing. The more they grow, the more we have to do to mitigate those impacts and the pollution that's generated from a lot of it's from impervious surfaces, right? It just sort of runs off those surfaces, goes into the storm drain system and gets out into the streams. So it's hard to say whether or not things are getting worse year by year, but it's certainly clear that there's only some isolated circumstances in which we can have real compelling evidence that they're actually getting better. And that that's what Second Nature, our, our company, is, is largely involved with trying to remove some of the technical barriers for identifying where those opportunities are to improve, improve water pollution problems and tracking progress to see how close we are to those water quality improvement goals. What are the metrics? Like you said, um, you know, no one seems to know if things are getting better or worse, but what, again, what are the metrics so we can tell what's happening? That's a great question. And the ultimate evidence for whether things are getting better is what we can measure in the environment, right? We, we scoop a sample of water out of a stream or from uh, a pipe and alcohol from a city and we measure the level of contaminants, whether that's nutrients or bacteria, metals or organic compounds. We measure the levels in, in that water and hopefully over time, they're going down. It just turns out that's actually quite difficult to do. There's a lot of noise and other sources of variability in those samples. So we do have some examples of actually measuring improvements in those monitoring samples, and that's ultimately where we want to see that evidence. But we can only measure so many places and and so many times, right? It's expensive. There, the water's flowing, you know, <laughs> everywhere. And so a lot of what we do to try to estimate how close we are to the goal is by using modeling and analytical tools to apply where we have measured, apply that information a greater effect across the landscape to estimate those places where we don't have measurements. And that that's one way to estimate tracking of, of progress towards the goal. What are you measuring? What are you estimating? Generally, I mean, there's a, there's a few things we can estimate. One of the simplest is just, well, if for instance, if you're a city, 
are you reducing the the runoff coming from your city, right? If you're reducing the actual runoff, it's say you've got features that allow that water to infiltrate and move more slowly towards the stream. Well, it's not going to be moving over the road and picking up contaminants with it. So generally, the more you reduce your urban runoff, the less problems you're you're going to have. Beyond that, we measure specific pollutants. So as I mentioned before, typical in urban systems, we have metals like zinc and copper that can create toxic conditions in streams, phosphorus, nitrogen, different bacterial indicators, and then various organic compounds. All these things are things that can create toxic conditions in streams and also um, eventually make their way into the food and water supply. So th those are the things generally that we're, we're measuring, and those are also the things that we can use various analytic, analytical or modeling approaches to try to estimate what how what we're doing on the landscape to try to mitigate those impacts is contributing to progress towards those goals. So if you're a stormwater manager and you're putting things in the ground, they're going to capture that stormwater and filter out those pollutants or just infiltrate infiltrate the runoff so that there's there's less of that runoff. We can use estimates of how many of those there are, how large they are, where they're located on the landscape. And that's a way to get to a first level estimate of, well, how close you are to your water quality improvement goals. We all know we should be eating less sugar, but we're constantly bombarded with drinks and snacks loaded with refined sugar or alternative sweeteners like stevia or erythritol that recent studies have shown might not be as harmless as we thought. Enter Oobly who just launched the world's first beverages to satisfy your sweet tooth with protein. Sweet proteins are nature's candy and give Oobly's brand new sweet iced teas sugar-like sweetness without the impact to your health. Get 20% off your Oobly order with the promo code GENIUS at Oobly.com and try all three delicious craft-brewed sweet iced teas, lemon, peach, and mango yuzu. That's Oobly.com, O-O-B-L-I.com, and use the code GENIUS, G-E-N-I-U-S. What about water that goes to uh, water treatment plants? Do you look at that to see what's coming out or, or no? Yeah, we don't specifically at Second Nature work on uh, on that side of things. Another source, if, if you have overflow from treatment plants, so you have too much water going to them and you end up with, with, with these overflows, that's at least that's a little bit easier problem just because we know where the, we know where it's coming from, right? It's, um, it's overflowing that facility, and that's why you're getting an injection of pollutants into water bodies. The other problems I'm describing are more diffuse in the landscape. We don't actually know how much is coming from everywhere on the landscape. In, ter for, in terms of cities, so where, where the water would go to treatment plants, you know, sort of gray water and black water from homes, is some cities you have that mixed with the stormwater that flows through the streets. That's only about 700-something cities throughout the U.S. have systems like that. We call them combined sewer systems. You've got about 10 times that more cities in the U.S. that have a separate stormwater and sewer system, so 7,000-something. So it's definitely the larger source delivery of pollutants, those, um, those systems that have the water treatment plants separated out from the stormwater that goes directly from the storm drain system into water bodies. When you say runoff from the city, where does the runoff go? What's defined as the boundary of the city? 
It's a regulatory boundary. So the term we use is MS4. It's municipal separate sewer system. And there's a specific boundary for each each city or or we say they're they're permittees. It's not not just cities, other entities can have them as well. Um so it's it's usually pretty close to what you would see as the municipal boundary of a city. And that's just defined as that's the area that they are responsible for mitigating their water quality impacts. So a county obviously would have a much larger boundary than than a city, but the short answer is they're just kind of regulatorily defined. Hopefully they also correspond with the hydrography or the, the landscape that dictates how the water's flowing. It makes it much easier to understand where the impacts are coming from. And what if a city is uh, is polluting another city? You know, what if it's effluent is right near another city and it becomes part of its intake? Yeah, that well, that's a that's a huge reason. This is a difficult problem to solve, right? So if you have a big watershed and you have a series of cities, say going upstream, right? The, the say everything drains into a central river branch. Well, the water coming through that downstream city has already collected the couple the pollutants that came from upstream. And so the while those boundaries are separate, right? Those those boundaries that are regulatorily defined, that's a real problem that the hydrology doesn't follow those jurisdictional boundaries. So it presents a real challenge for like I said, identifying who's responsible for what levels of pollution because it all gets mixed together once you're you're downstream and that's Another one of those places where using analytics models and mapping can help us estimate the levels of impact coming from each of those cities and what their contributions to the the solutions are. So what are some projects that you're working on right now? Any specifics you can give? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so, you know, Second Nature is an environmental software company. So, you know, we build tools to help cities and companies deal with these water pollution problems. And the basic idea is to try to put powerful tools that are based in science into the hands of people that are closest to the problem. So kind of the local stormwater managers, they are the best stewards of their cities. So we're kind of working to use technology to close the gap between kind of the academic level science and the policy making, right? Try to make the science more actionable for the people need to use it to make decisions on a daily basis. We try to stay pretty close to the science. So all of the elements that we have embedded in software that are that people are meant to use directly all have peer-reviewed journal publications so people can see exactly how the methods work. And it's just this is just about making science more actionable for cities and companies working towards environmental sustainability goals, cities working towards satisfying the regulatory requirements. I sort of see it in the same way as, you know, you used to use a specialized technician to set up your email server, right? But now the cloud handles that. The same is true for some of the analytical and modeling tools that we need to support environmental decision-making. A lot of that can now be automated. And that's the bridge that we're really trying to create to make it easier for cities to use these tools to identify their priorities, track progress towards, towards the solutions and make the regular regulatory reporting more efficient. So what do you do? What kind of capture devices and what kinds of things are you capturing from cities? And is it enough to become a raw input for somewhere else? Or is that to be exposed or what is it? 
So some of the data that we would use for that modeling that I described, well, a lot of that is just publicly available data from sources like the National Oceanic Atmosphere Administration. And so those data are sort of out there and available for anyone who wants to try to identify what those inputs to a model might be. But in terms of actual measurements, what we've done is set up devices at right at the outlets to, to a city. So you just said a moment ago, like, well, gosh, it's, it's really tricky if you have one city upstream from another city, if you're measuring in the main stem of that river. So to really understand what the impacts and improvements are from a specific city makes more sense to measure right at the pipe, right? We call them outfalls, where the water is going in to that main river stem. And so that's what we've done in, in some of the cities here on the central coast of California. We've installed devices on those pipes that can measure what the flow levels are as, say, a storm's happening and that flow level is rising in the pipe. And there's little inlets as, as the flow rises to take water samples automatically so that you don't have to have, you know, send someone out there to grab a water sample just at the right time. You have water samples taken automatically as the flow is going up so that you know exactly what the water level is when you collect the sample. That's important for understanding the level of, of pollute loading is. And so it just gives you a lot better information about the system just having a little bit more innovative approach to collecting that sample, kind of pinning down the experimental design such that you're constraining a lot of the other variability that makes it difficult to detect the signal of an impact and a change. Well, very good. What, um, where can people go to find out more about the projects you're working on and see progress and you know, what's happening with them and what cities, et cetera? Yeah, you, you can go to secondnature.com. So that's 2ndnature.com. And you can see examples of the types of work we're doing, the tools that we're building, some of the science publications that we've done related to those tools, and some case studies You know that will illustrate exactly what I described in terms of how those tools directly plug into those stormwater managers trying to actually find where they can get their biggest bang for the buck and how they can track progress towards their water quality goals. It's all there on the website. And what do you think the future of your efforts is going to look like You know, in the next five or 10 years? Pretty much the same, or is there big changes coming to how Stormboard is meant? Yeah, I think it's going to continue going this same direction. We're second nature right now is, is a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of pushing the industry to digitize and go to the cloud and have heavier use of analytics for decision-making, but it's hard to imagine it not continuing to go the same direction. So we're on the leading edge right now, but I'm positive the rest of the industry is coming this direction. And I think even more so as we end up with tools like Internet of Things, the sampling scheme that I just described, well, you can also have that electronically connected to a system to tell you exactly when to take the sample. So the Internet of Things is going to play a huge role. Use of artificial intelligence to make identification of priorities more efficient and just better use of models to identify what we should be doing where to make the greatest impact. Just continued progress in the same direction seems. Okay. Gary, thank you for coming on the podcast and talking about your work. Again, best place to find out more is to go to where? 
secondnature.com. Okay, very good. Gary, thank you so much for coming. I appreciate it. Thank you, Richard. Remember, if you're looking for groundbreaking low-sugar products, head over to oobly.com and try the world's first iced teas made with sweet proteins, the future of sweet, because we all deserve to feel good about healthy sweetness. Use the promo code GENIUS at oobly.com and get 20% off their lemon, peach, or mango yuzu sweet iced teas. Oobly is sweet without sacrifice. Website is oobli.com. Promo code GENIUS, G-E-N-I-U-S. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.